Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey friends, welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. This is our US Open recap episode. It was a great t- tournament. Um, ticket sales were through the roof. Um, you know, numbers doing doing amazing. Um, obviously, with the first week being dominated by um, Serena Williams and the second week really finishing off with a teenage major champion for the first time on the men's side um, since 2005, Nadal. And the first man to win the US Open as a teenager since Pete Sampras in 1990. And who better to have on the show right now to help me recap this than the one and only Steve Flink. Steve, how are you today? I'm good, Vance. Good to be back with you. And you're right, those were exciting developments that Carlos could uh, bring back bring back the success of the teenagers, which we were beginning to wonder if it ever would happen again. In fact, Sampras told me when we were doing the book, he didn't think it was going to happen again. This was, it was a couple years back. Carlos wasn't even known at that point. We were speaking in 18 or 19, but he he felt it might be too difficult for any teenager at that stage to get it done. It's a great accomplishment for Alcaraz, who, as you know, had not had a good run uh, post-Madrid. It had been a frustrating time. Nothing disastrous. Quarters of the French and a couple of clay court finals, but didn't play well on the hard courts leading up to the Open. And yet he got the job done exceedingly well in New York with three five-set wins and then a culminating with a four-set win over Root in the final. So I, I thought it was a it was a really positive development for tennis because he's such a bright personality. And we know that it's just a question of how many more we know there will be many. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you mentioned that, uh, that run from Madrid to the U S open. And I did kind of think, um, you know, he started enjoying his tennis a lot more. He mentioned that as well after the, um, after the tournament was over and how he was smiling more on the court and Juan Carlos Ferrero really um, helped instill a different sort of mindset that every time he had a short ball, he just kept uh, coming forward and kept finishing it off. And it's just, you know, you mentioned his game. It's just so complete. I've not seen a 19-year-old with that complete of a game, just the combination of the speed and the power and the defense uh, combined with the touch, which he was using a lot more on clay, I think, than he was generally here. But uh, and, and you still feel like he can definitely improve a lot more, including the serve. And, you know, you mentioned those five set wins. It's just the 23 hours, 39 minutes um, spent on court and that he could back up those three five setters. Yeah, and, and listen, I wouldn't say he was necessarily ever at his very best. That's what I find so uh, encouraging and even exhilarating because he had to will his way through some of those matches, as you know. Uh, and yet... The well-roundedness that you described is is indisputable. I mean, it, it's he's more complete than than Medvedev or Zara. I mean, it's, he's much more comfortable with the net to me than either Medvedev or Zara. Sitsipas is close, mm. but uh, he has other deficiencies. I just don't see how, in the long run, and we can get more to more of this later because I, I know you want to cover the tournament. But to me, I don't see over time how the, the other guys in their 20s who've been at the top, the likes of Zarev, who was close to winning a major, Medvedev, who did win the U.S. Open last year, uh, team if he can get back into the forefront, Sitsabas if he can recover from a deep psychological blow here at the Open. I don't see how they stay with Carlos. I'm not saying they never beat him, but I just think he has the distinct advantage over all of them in, in the long run and perhaps even in the short run. And that's what I think was, was such a... That's why I was so happy that he won the Open, because it's the start of something substantial and the emergence of a great player. Yeah, I couldn't agree more about uh, about all the points. I really do think he's he's the real deal. I've, you know, I've always rated him extremely highly, and I think we're looking at, you know, potentially him winning 10 to 15 plus majors. Like, it's it, it seems realistic. Yeah, I, absolutely realistic. In fact, 
I would be surprised if he didn't reach your ladder number. I honestly see him at, at the minimum at 15 because he's 19 years old and because there are going to be years. It's hard to imagine there won't be years when he wins two, perhaps three, when he gets to his peak. And hard to see a year going by in my mind. I mean, this, it's possible that next year he, he reacts to the pressure and doesn't get one, but I, I would be surprised. So I think that I look at this next 10, 12, 14 years, and if he's injury-free, I don't see how he's not, you know, in that range of 15 and perhaps above because uh, he's obviously so ambitious and so gifted. And when he starts piling them up, his sense of uh, history is going to kick in. And he's going to be looking at the others and wanting to see how close he can get to this big three now and obviously to Pete at 14 as well. That would be the first parameter. So I just feel like uh, he's headed for really lofty territory. Yeah, absolutely. Don't have much to add there. I was going to say um, just a little bit on the we can start with the final just because Casper um, Root getting to two major finals uh, was certainly not something I was predicting in, in 2022. And he's really shown me um, good improvements uh, really in the past six months. Obviously, he made the final of Roland Garros, but I've seen a lot of improvement in his game and just generally from Miami and from the clay season, which wasn't that great until Roland Garros. But I've just seen more or less the improvements I've, I've seen is just uh, a better backhand overall. I feel like his return of serve, he's really shortened up that swing. He's um, just... I see a steeliness and a grit in him that I didn't I didn't see before in a certain way that he constructs the points and he sets up his his big forehand. I think the serve has improved a lot. I think he's gotten a lot better at the net. Um, certainly wasn't wasn't the formid- most formidable of the two uh, in the final, but certainly it paid off in his other matches against Hachinov well, and no, for the tournament. Yeah, I, just, I, I wouldn't I can't knock him for the final though because uh, it was a very competitive match and he he did a yeah. great job to come back after losing the first set. Just win those last four games of the second set. And and then the, th- the third set was so intensely competitive, and obviously it came down to a, a clutch hold from Alcaraz saving two set points at 5-6 and then sweeping through the tiebreak seven points to one. So I think that that uh, he, I thought Rude acquitted himself quite well in the final. Oh, yeah, five. totally. But to back up your earlier points, yeah, the, I, I remember watching him in the spring and feeling like the, the backhand was very vulnerable. Now it's not very vulnerable at all it's still a weaker wing for him but it's yeah. it's much better than it was as you say he returns well now and i think he thinks of i believe he thinks of himself differently uh he's thinking the same way you are i'm better than i thought i was mm. and so earlier in the year i think he would have been satisfied to have his french open final and make a decent showing here and here i think maybe he comes away even a little disappointed that he couldn't grab an opportunity even with the utmost respect that he has for carlos so yeah, great achievement for him to be in two major finals, particularly in this one, because we thought of him heretofore as more of a, as more of a clay court player. And now he's starting to prove his value on, on the heart. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you look at that. Uh, um, you look at the second and, and third sets. And I didn't think there was much between the two until sort of the five six game in the third set, where he, where Carlos saved those set points beautifully. Um, uh, with really, really good net play and really clutch uh, finishes at net. And just, uh, uh, you know, Rude, I thought, really went away in the tiebreak. Didn't play um, didn't yeah, play particularly but, well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he didn't play a good tie, but Carlos did, though. Yeah. Carlos was a returns and, he, and didn't get discouraged after Rude aced him on the first point. And from there, he was very purposeful the rest of the way. And he, he did get some help from Rude, surely. But I think Rude was also a bit dismayed that he hadn't been able to break through there. Not that he could blame himself much for either of the set points because Carlos attacked on both. One short return from Rude, yes, but Carlos really took the initiative on those on those big points. That was actually that uh, that game was kind of a microism of the match. Rude showing how, how, how tough he can be and Carlos rising to the occasion and essentially salvaging the match right then and there. That was the game. Not that he couldn't have come back from two sets to one, but I think it really yeah. helped him a lot to hold on there, win the tie break. And then I thought he served incredibly well in the fourth. And that's something I want to see more from him is the bigger serving. Yeah. He served, uh, he, he had seven of his 14 aces in the fourth. It was, that's where he really was going after it. And I know that he was succeeded much earlier on with the serve and volley. And that's why is when Rude is hanging way back. Hmm. But uh, I, I feel like 
Carlos can get more cheap points than he realizes, and he's, he discovered he, he did it well in the fourth. I'm hoping he and Pereira will own in more on that. Not that he has to, in every single match, lower his first serve percentage and be relying on service winners and aces, but he's very capable of, of doing that uh, fairly regularly, and I think it should become more of a staple in his game. And if and when it does, he, he, then he goes to an even higher level in this game. Hard to imagine, but he would. Yeah, totally agree. The last, those last three or four service games, he was hitting two or three oh. aces. It was just, yeah. it was. Uh, I almost wanted to call him a server bot. It was something, something definitely very uh, helped him a lot. And I, I definitely agree with your point. Uh, you know, you he's he usually serve. He, he is capable of serving one thirty, one thirty five. Uh, like oh, yeah. he, it's and just about finding the spots. Yeah, and sometimes it's high one twenties, which is good enough. But the. You take a look at the last game. You're serving for the match. You're serving for the U.S. Open. Naturally, some nerves are going to kick in. He misses an easy overhead, 30 love, that could have made that mm. game easy. And then Yen comes right back with an ace. And then he misses a fairly easy shot off the forehand and then comes back with a service winner. That's what I mean. It just takes such a load off his shoulders. If he can know that he can reach back and crack those big serves when he needs them. And that last game proved it because I think it would have been harder to, to win that last game serving kickers instead you know he went after it full force and it paid off and uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that is something that they uh, they decide that uh, Ferrero and Alvarez decide they're going to work harder on that aspect and try to change him that way particularly on hard courts by the way it's not as necessary I think on clay yeah absolutely and um uh, you know, what else really stood out to me about the final? I think um, I think what else stood out is Carlos had to have been feeling it in his legs. He just had to um, after those three five setters. And you you definitely saw an energy dip middle of the second set. And uh, yeah. but I, but I felt like the his plus one play and his ability to shorten points and the the serve and volley tactic that you're talking about plus just uh, really big forehands when he needed it most and just. He had the skills, I feel like, to shorten points and um, do something so that he can conserve energy and just play a lot more efficiently. I, I, th I felt I saw a lot more yeah, of that progression in the final. He did. I, but I think the other thing, Von, I agree with you, that there was clear sign of, of leg fatigue and general fatigue. However, I also think he got a bit, it was a little frustrating to have a sequence of games there where he could have broken root, he had a break point, then he loses his own serve from 30 love, then he has another break point. Rude had hit great first serves to save those break points, but Carlos, then he lost in the long game on his serve. So the way that second set kind of got away from him, he had chances in almost every game, and I think that was a little bit aggravating to him, and that that also is energy sapping. Yeah. And and then again, even after he got the early break in the third, he's up two love with a break point for three love, and, and Rude got out of that, and then that set became quite a tussle. So uh, I, I think he really had to fight his way past the through that portion of the mat, but boy, did he ever! And then he had great strength and and vitality in the fourth. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, the match of the tournament that really stands out that we we have to we have to mention is the Sinner versus Alcaraz quarterfinal. Five hours and fifteen minutes into three in the morning, and you know it really. I I, I just no one really deserved to lose that match to me because Alcaraz could have won it in straights, Sinner could have won it in four, and it was just this awesome rivalry that we hope to see for many years to come. And if this is their fourth meeting, I'm so excited to see what their 10th or 15th meeting looks like. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you. I totally agree. And Sinner, I think, has improved markedly, and he's, he's getting the wise counsel of Darren Cahill, which is not doing him one bit of harm. And all of that I agree with, and and you know obviously we know that he beat him at Wimbledon this year, and then beat him on the clay over the summer. So he he, he plays him tough. I think over time the Carlos will will figure things out a bit, but that's not to say that I think he'll totally dominate the rivalry. This could be maybe his toughest rivalry, mm -hmm. but the match itself you described it well because you go back. I mean, and Carlos won the first set fairly comfortably, and then to have five set points in the second set. Uh, you know, he, he came from a breakdown. It looked like the set was gone. And then next thing you know, he's five. He's at 6-5 with love 40 and sinners serve. Four set points there. And the last of the one, and then he had one more in the tie break. But the four set point when he topspin lobbed him down the line, four in topspin lob and backed him up. And sinner was heading in the opposite direction. 
And, uh, and it was for Carlos, no way should he be missed the forehand with the open court. If he wins that point, he's up two sets. That's a different match. But mm. all credit to Sinner because he then, you know, he hung it in the tie break, saved another set point with a, a, a great serve. And, and uh, then uh, he kind of stole the third set, too, because Carlos served for that one. And he'd already been up a break earlier. So I give Sinner a lot of credit, but it was surely dismaying for Alcaraz to find himself down two sets to one. And you could feel it as that four set moved along. And then there was Sinner serving for the match. And I give Carlos a lot of credit because Alcaraz, on that second serve return on the match point, played it just right. Aggressive, but not too close to the lines. And he coaxed the era. If he'd gone for broke, he might have missed. It might have been a gift to Sinner. And then, of course, he comes back, wins the set. And then the second recovery that was magnificent, I thought, was when Sinner was serving 3-2, 40-15 in the fifth. And Alcaraz runs out the match from there. I mean, the resilience on both sides of the net was remarkable. And the level of play was, too. I never, I didn't, It wasn't as if Sinner collapsed in those last four games, either. It was a very high standard and a... It was worthy of a final. In some ways, I wish it had been the final. Yeah, couldn't agree. And now, you know, I saw a lot of opinions floating around about this, but I definitely think it was, um, you know, probably one of the best matches I've ever seen between two players not in the big three. Like, um, would you would you put it like pretty high up there in terms of matches you've seen that doesn't have either one of Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic in them? I would. I would. And I, I somehow I think it takes on an added luster. I remember at the time thinking, I want to see what happens the rest of the way here. Carlos wins the tournament. This match suddenly takes on added significance because it, would, it's, it was the match that ends up propelling him to the title. And let's face it, we've seen a lot of this at the U.S. Open. Guys being match points down somewhere in the course of the tournament and winning it. Becker against Rostanyo in 89. Sampras with Karecha in 96. We saw it with Roddick against Albandian in 2003, and we saw with Djokovic in 2011 against Federer, saving two match points, and finally Stan Wawrinka pulled off that feed in 16. So it has happened a bunch of times, but this one takes on, we know that Alcaraz is going to be an all, I believe he's going to be an all-time great, and therefore this match, will, we will look back on it, and and, and I have to say, it, it, it'll have a special place, because the standard was high, and it, 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 it led to a major, while if Alcaraz would have lost, and didn't have a major yet. I don't know how we would have looked at it quite in quite that light, but now I do. I do, and I I think it was uh, it, it was extraordinary. And when we look back on his career, well, that match will probably be listed among his most important triumphs, and maybe one of the highest quality uh, matches played, uh, at least um, among at least in the early part of his career, in saying that a the nineteen to twenty two phase of his career. That one it will be will be right up there. Yeah, of course. And um, Alcaraz, obviously, he uh, he uh, still has some of the some issues in converting breakpoints. Um, that's definitely some yeah. some area that he can definitely improve in. Um, especially that was evident in his losses before the Open and also in some of these matches. Just to just sometimes I feel like he misses too many second serve returns, or sometimes he just you know goes for too much of an ambitious shot when I feel like he's better off making the opponent miss. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more a bunch. And that's why I, I was I, I was so impressed with the way he handled the match point down against Sinner in that he didn't go for too much. He was aggressive. He measured it well. You're, you're right. There are other instances where he doesn't do that and opportunities elude him and matches become tougher than they need to be. And uh, and sometimes it's not even just break points, it's leads. I mean, for instance, the semifinal against Tiapo. I have the utmost respect for what Tiapo did in this tournament to beat Nadal, follow it up, and have that wonderful win over Rublev again. So here he is in his first major semi, and he and he, he put on a, a really stirring performance. But it looked to me like after the first set, which was very tight and came down on an 8-6 tie break, we saw Alcaraz come back 6-3 down. He did wait. I thought he wasted that a bit too, by the way, mm. that he's 6-3 down in the tiebreaker back to 6-all, pulls the back in wide. I would consider it unforced. And then his second double fault of the sequence of the tiebreak, and that was the set was over. But then he took over from the middle of the second set and blitzed through the end. He won the second set hard fought but well, and then blitzed through the third and had that early break twice in the fourth, that two love, and then he got to 3-1. And I, I, I thought that at that stage, 
Tiafo was like a boxer who was staggering around the ring in the seventh or eighth round, and one more punch, he could be finished. But Carl, Carlos was unable to do it. And then you saw a revitalized uh, Tiafo, who, who did very well to salvage the fourth. He saved the match point, and he then won the, a tight tie break from 5-4 down. So all credit to him, but I thought that was a set Alcaraz could well have won, and yet he still gets the job done in the fifth when the chips were on the line. But you can look back on all those matches and say, well, he, he could well have beaten Sinner in three or at worst four. He could have beaten Tiafo in four. Uh, you know, you, 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 you replay all of them, and I'm sure he does too, and he, and he could have saved energy. On the other hand, he fought so well, and they, played, they all played well against him, including Chilich, who we left out. Yeah, Chilich, he, was, uh, he, he, had, he had seven breakpoints in the fourth and didn't take yeah. them. Exactly. And that, so that could have been over. And then he goes down a break in the fifth and came back. Yeah. So good effort. But I thought that match should have probably been a four-setter for Alcaraz as well. Having, but those are mild criticisms, Vanch. How, how do you really how do you criticize a 19-year-old winning a okay. major title? You can't. It's just that these are things that he can learn from that will make him even better uh, in the future. And I, I think that will make him an even more formidable match player. If he can, if he can take the lessons from those contests and and move into the future with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I heard Juan Carlos Ferrero say he's at around sixty percent. He's at sixty percent of his of his potential. And you know, maybe some of that is. I, I don't know what to really read into that, but that feels really scary for the rest of the tour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's a little low, but I don't yeah. think he's way off. I don't think I don't think he can. I wouldn't say he could be anywhere above seventy percent of his potential. And that, and that too is scary and. And I think the other guys know it, by the way. I think they're yeah. really aware of it. They, they, they realize how young he is, and they, and they know how versatile he is. I mean, you take a look at somebody like Medvedev or Zarev, and they're great players, but I don't feel like they're necessarily that flexible. Uh, they both can defend really well. They're, you know, there's, they have obvious strengths. But I, I, with Carlos, you feel like you know, the, the, the transition game and the variety off the ground and the ability to serve different ways and hopefully to serve bigger in the future. I just look at all these things and say, wait a second, he's, he's going through a transformation in his career and he's going to start adding layers to his game in a way that I don't think that they can. And if, that's, if I'm right, then he's going to be skyrocketing through the future. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, Last last off season was interesting because he he finished this he finished the year around thirty two or something like that in the world and then we saw an amazing physical transformation you know he became a lot stronger a lot more muscular and they clearly worked on that during the off season for three months and that's why he managed to schedule in a way that he didn't play anything before the Australian Open but now I feel like um, that improvement has been done you know the progression from boy to man so now it's going to be uh, they're going to focus a lot more on the serve, I think. And if they start doing that, then, um, yeah, watch out next year, right? No, you're right. And and I, I, as you were saying that, Vance, I'm thinking back to the Open a year ago when he beat Tsitsipas in that in that incredible five-step match in the first week that sort of really sort of was his announcement to the tennis world in a way of what, what his future would be. And But then by the time he got to Felix in the quarters, you could see he was so beat up. Now he got hurt. He had a leg injury. I understand that. But he was more susceptible to that then. He's had a few niggling injuries this year, too. But he, he, there's no question he's in decidedly better shape than he was. And and that really made a difference in him getting through this tournament uh, after so many arduous matches leading up to the final. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also think like one more component that makes Alcaraz so interesting is I feel like he's raising the bar for the rest of the tour in a way that some of these matches that you're seeing you are seeing players play above their potential, if that makes sense, because he's bringing out the absolute best in them. And there, he has that aura right now of, you know, similar to one of the big three members. Yeah, he absolutely does. And look, I mean, obviously we know that Rafa, Rafa came into this tournament a, a little beleaguered and hurt and not sure about his abdominal, and it seemed to show in his play. And so... But, and Novak wasn't there, and Zarev wasn't there. I understand all that, but I don't really think, frankly, that he needed a lot of help. Mm -hmm. like, I, I mean, I think he still had to deal with first-rate uh, opposition, and that uh, Carlos showed this year he's not afraid of everyone. I, what I'm hoping will develop, and I believe will develop next year, is some some first-rate confrontations between Djokovic and Alcaraz. I hope we get to see them play 
at least three or four times. It would be great for the game, and I think they'd push each other to the hills, and Novak would use his experience, and Carlos would have all that exuberance of youth. And we saw it, and we kind of, kind of got an inkling of it this year in Spain when they had the great yeah. uh, three-set clash, and Novak lost it to Carlos in a third-set tiebreak. And Sure, the Spanish crowd may have made a difference, and Alcaraz had nothing to lose, but he played a great match, and Novak by no means played badly. So I just think we, we're going to see some potential blockbusters with that too. And it'd be interesting to see if Rafa can, if Rafa is able to get physically healthier next year. Again, some of the battles that he will have now in, in the latter stages of his career, say over the next year with Alcaraz, because you want to see those two legends play this kid uh, a bunch of times over the next year or two. It would be great for the fans. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, still coming into this tournament, I would have said Alcaraz is probably the third favorite. You know, behind uh, behind yeah. Rafa and Medvedev, and yeah. so it so it really played out that way. Um, and you know, I definitely I de- I'm so excited about that rivalry now that now that you mentioned it. You know, Djokovic Alcaraz, I could just see that being being a, a blockbuster next year, especially if Novak is allowed to play all four majors and you know he plays yeah, and he's well, able to I play suspect, a full season. Yeah, I suspect he will be. It's hard to know what the re- regulations are going to be in the U.S., but I all the talk about Australia has surprised me. A lot of people assuming that this three-year ban on Novak will be imposed. I don't think it will be because I think that the government with them be showing sort of some vindictiveness in a way. They, they know what happened this past year, and, and it seems like they are changing their rules somewhat. And I, so I believe that I think there's actually a pretty good chance he does play Australia, and I don't think there'll be any impediments for, for Paris or Wimbledon most likely, and we'll see what happens here. So with, with some luck, he will be out there more next year and then that'll give us more of a chance to see those two play and in an odd way bunch i think that kind of a rivalry at his age no novak turned 35 this year he'll be hitting 36 in may that that would really spur him on he's in such great shape but the idea of having this young rival as opposed to his enduring rivalries that he had with rafa and roger uh and 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 he's played the light and granted he's had a recently an interesting s- series of matches with Medvedev and some good ones with Zarev. But this is the one that I think would excite him the most, fending off youth and yeah. trying to show that he's still the best. And I think it would bring out the best in, in both players. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, with this result, Alcaraz is now the youngest ever number one as well. Um, obviously, it means more to get to year-end number one and looks like he's in really pole position to do so. He's playing four more tournaments and Davis Cup right now as we speak. Um but, you know, he's playing a couple of 500s, I believe, in Basel and Nur-Sultan, and then playing the playing Paris and playing the ATP Finals. So yeah. uh, it looks like, especially with Rafa not probably not playing as much and Djokovic not playing enough and Zverev and Medvedev, you know, not really close, it, it feels like he has a very good sh- chance to clinch this. Yeah, good assessment. I think Djokovic lost his chance when the points were taken away at Wimbledon. He needed those 2,000 points, and then he might have had some kind of a shot here. But I, I can't see the. I agree. Rafa will not push himself too far in pursuit of that ranking because he wants to preserve himself for two thought for 2023. And Zarev is just coming back. Medvedev, I, I don't see him posting such spectacular results that he would pass Alcaraz. So, yeah, I think Carlos has a great chance. I, I kind of felt this bond from the time of Miami. I, I, looking ahead, I really felt like he had a great chance to finish the year at one, and and now I'm pretty convinced that he will. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I guess let's talk about the rest of the field. So, of course, um, you know, Rafa coming in from the abdominal abdominal injury, played the one match against George in Cincinnati, um, you know, definitely saw a different service motion coming into this tournament. And that was uh, that was definitely something I wanted to follow closely because he had a lower ball toss. It looked like, you know, he was still feeling some discomfort with the ab. Didn't look right to me at all against Hijikata, down 6-2, 4-2 against Fanini, any kind of Fonini kind of went away from there. And then, you know, the match against Gasquet. Gasquet is, he's has an 18-0 head-to-head, so you can't really read too much into that. And then, obviously, Tiafo plays a four-straight match, but then I thought Rafa really went away in the fourth. So, Well, I don't know if I entirely agree with your last point about going away. I, I agree that yeah. he, let it, he maybe let it get away a bit because he had 3-1. And I thought he still fought hard, but he got frustrated. And Tiafo hung in there and didn't concede the set. It was wise. If it had gone to a fifth, I, I Rafa might have won, won, uh, might well have won it, but I, I do agree with all the rest of what you said. He never really looked like himself. The other toss was a bit lower, 
Uh, there were times he was serving close to normal speeds, times that he wasn't. He mm -hmm. beefed it up to at the end against Diapo. It didn't do him any good. But there's no doubt there was discomfort. And, and it, there's no doubt that in his mind, he wasn't quite sure he was over that injury. And he was asking a lot of himself. And I think because he so improbably won the Australian after being gone that second half of the year with the foot injury, and somehow coming back and playing 1250 in Melbourne, winning that, and then winning the Australian was, was astonishing, even to him. Two five setters, Shapovalov, and then the great comeback against Medvedev in the final. Two sets and two three, love 40 down in the third set. And then he goes to Paris, and as you know, Bunch, that was also not his likeliest Roland Garros triumph in light of the fact that he'd been hurt during the clay court season, walked off injured after the Shapovalov match in Rome, and then there he is in Paris getting injections every day and mm. getting through the tournament. So I think he somehow... When you've been through that many harrowing moments in the year and, you, and, and each of the two majors you won, you felt like you were in trouble with your health and yet you still won it. I can see why he came here and tried. But mentally he wasn't at his best and he certainly, certainly wasn't at his best physically. So uh, not a, I guess not a shocking result in the end because he just couldn't recover, his, recover fully. The, the question is going to be where does he go from here? The foot didn't seem to be a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. so that was good news but we never know if that's going to act up again it's, and, and will he want to press on that abdominal I, I, I see him playing very little in the fall like you said and we'll, we'll see how he looks when he goes back to defend the Australian Open title yeah absolutely and uh, just to clarify a little bit about that last point I, I thought Tiafo played a fantastic first rate match really all throughout he was taking the ball extremely early served impeccably yeah. you know serving 135 to 140 best I've ever seen him serve 18 aces um, and, you know, so opportune on his break points. I just felt like, though, 3-1 up in the fourth. Um, Rafa double faulted twice. He has two more break points in the next game. Doesn't take them, Francis. Some great play by Francis saved them. Uh, more than Rafa lost them. But then, you know, just got broken two more times after that. And I just felt like his serve wasn't able to keep him competitive. And it didn't look like he really believed in the in the last game either. I felt like had he held for 4-5, you know, maybe there would have been some more Francis to more pressure Could on be. Francis to close it out. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with any of that. I just think it caught up to him because, as you said, you know, the Fanini match, he was playing really badly. <laughs> to be 6-2, 4-2 down, and I frankly think Fanini, if he wasn't such a head case, would have understood that he was in a commanding position to win the match. Yeah. And he just went away. He just was abysmal from there, and Rafa played decently from there on in. And then he didn't look great in his first round, had to come from a set down, and then, as you mentioned, Gasquet is just a gift. He could beat him blindfolded. Yeah. Just, he just... It owns Gasquet. So although he looked all right in that match and had only one tough set, which was the third set, he, uh, yeah, we couldn't judge him on that. So it, it caught up to him. And Tiafo played really well. And and I think that Rafa could have given them a bit more credit in the press conference because, as you said, it was very high-level stuff from Tiafo. So even a healthy Rafa might have struggled some, but but maybe, maybe the healthy Rafa wins in four instead of losing in four. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Tiafo, the whole tournament, um, really, I, I think for me, it started with actually the Schwartzman match. I caught a little bit of that, not, a whole, not the whole thing. But um, he was really having to grind Diego down. And, you know, Diego broke his serve more times than, you know, like you would expect because he's such a first-rate returner. He just doesn't hold as much, hold as easily as some of the other players. So for him to get through that grind fest and, you know, it was straight sets, but it was a very, very tight match. I just felt yeah. like he was going to be very dangerous throughout the rest of the tournament. And then he, what impressed me more was how he backed up the Nadal win against Rublev because obviously he'd beaten Rublev here last year, 6-1 right. in the third right. in the third round. But this was, this was uh, he played at another level, I felt like. He just, with the options that he had and, um, you know, uh, the, the tie breaks that he played, he was just, uh, he was just so, so good all around. That was the key. Winning the first two in tie breaks, it kind of discouraged Rublev, I didn't really think he could make the comeback, and he's he's a little bit vulnerable mentally to begin with. I I, yeah. I, I always worry about him because he he's so frantic in the way he looks at his box and his honorage and just gesticulates, and you know he's just he's just venting, but it's also it's always seems so negative. It's yeah. always like the, the weight of the world is on his shoulders, and how could this happen to me? So when he got down two sets. I didn't. I, I didn't like the feeling for him, but all credit to Francis because he played the both tiebreakers brilliantly. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was. A, it, and you're right about this. Work to match was hard work, but he 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 handled it. And I just think that uh, yeah, it was a, it was a stepping stone in his career. The question is going to be, what will he do with it? I think he has a chance now to try to make a move toward the top 
10 in the world if he really commits himself. I don't necessarily think he'll ever win a major, but I wouldn't discount it. But I do think he should be winning more tournaments, going deeper into some of these tournaments, and he should use the fall to really try to keep get his ranking up as high as possible and get the best possible seeding for Mel. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah, I always felt like a result like this was coming, though, because he's had a lot of close losses. Like, he he only has one yeah. title, and he's made finals, but he just, he has these close losses. Like, I think back to the one in, at Wimbledon against Gofan. That was a match he... You know, he had a lot of chances to win, and then the Tiaf, the Tiafo versus Kyrgios in Washington, where he had five match points. So he has yeah. he has kind of moments like this, and I feel like best of five, he's able to weather it a little bit better. But I I, I kind of agree. I see him like pushing for a top ten position, like maybe ch- uh, challenging Taylor Fritz, who's currently the number one American. I could see him really good. He should. Yeah, he absolutely should, and, and I think it's important for him to put together some good, consistent tournaments in the autumn year because it's a real opportunity, and then that can carry him with confidence into the beginning of next year and try to make a go of it at, at the Australian Open. So exciting for him, and uh, uh, you know, I think he had a he had such a uh, fervent crowd support that night, including from the former first lady Michelle Obama, who sat there and watched the entire match. Yeah. From the president's box, and and I'm sure he appreciated that. There was a photo of the two of them that circulated later that I think she put on her Instagram, and and he just had Im- enormous and and he was very classy, by the way. Yeah. To, to do the interview, as you know, it's rare that the the loser would do it. He did the interview on television and and lauded Carlos, and then 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 mentioned that he thought in the next couple of years he was going to come back and win the tournament. That's just what you want to hear from somebody who lost a hard fought match that he's not discouraged, but start off by giving your opponent his due, which he clearly did. Yeah, absolutely. Really classy guy. Um, uh, yeah. Some of the other upsets, I guess, throughout this, uh, this men's tournament, um, the first day actually, right. When Serena was playing against Kovinich, uh, that time it was Taylor Fritz against Holt and it was Sitsipas against Gilan. Now, the Sitsipas result, I'm going to need a little bit of help because I wasn't exactly, you know, I, I wasn't really, uh, I was just following the scores because I was interested in the Serena match. But I saw he went down 6-love, 5-love, and I did hear after that that he got some treatment on his elbow and the 3rd and 4th was more competitive. He was up a break in the 4th. I thought it would go to 5. But it's just, how do you explain a loss like that? Because he's coming off of a really good performance in Cincinnati. Okay, he lost the final to Chorich, but you would expect much more from him here, right? Yeah, and he had beaten Medvedev in that tournament too, so it wasn't totally discouraging to lose the final. Uh, I don't under, I, I I can't begin to explain it to you. You 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 ex, you were just alluding to the what was going on. And Serena playing her match, and we came out of the Serena match. All of us obviously had had to watch Serena. Uh, it, it potentially could be her last match. And yeah. when we came out, then all of this was going on. Taylor Fritz. Uh, and, and losing to Holt, and then, of course, the, the Sitsipas match. I spoke to some of the Greek reporters who said that he was not happy to be sort of haunted by memories of playing on that court. He would have rather been on Ash. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't heard that before. But but he's a professional, and he's been around. He's, you know, he's been a top-flight player now since 2018. So for him to allow that, and, and then to, you can't excuse losing six. I didn't. I just didn't see enough of it. But losing love and won the first two sets, and as you said, it was six love, five love, and he finally got a game. That's just, that's not, it, it's inexcusable, mm. and it's inexplicable. 
So I hope that he'll bounce back from that. But he's a fascinating guy. I don't know what, you know, there are times when I think he's so confident and so, so professional. And then there are other times when he just seems to, to lose his way. And uh, this was one of those moments, obviously, because he surely came into the tournament believing he had a, a decent chance to win it, that he was one yeah. of the four or five guys that could win it. He certainly should have been believing that. And as you said, he still ended up giving himself a chance to win. But when you get clobbered that way over the first two sets, it's it's a tough road back. And I think if he could have brought it into a fifth, okay. But unfortunately, I didn't see much of it either because uh, it, it was simultaneous with the Serena match. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I did uh, get a chance to see Fritz's press conference, and I saw more of that Holt match uh, because Holt, obviously, he qualified, and son of Tracy Austin, and played for USC, and so I've heard a lot, of, lot about him just through that. Um, but uh, he's a pretty good competitor, right, as well, to come back from a set down um, against Fritz. And I, I think him knowing Fritz's game since they were about eight and having played each other so much and practiced against each other, I think that really helped Fritz in this match. And maybe Fritz kind of um, didn't expect Holt to play this well. Yeah, good assessment. You have to flip the coin a little bit, though, too, Bunch, and say that surely he knew Holt's game well, that it wasn't yeah. being to be like a young countryman coming along whose game he didn't know. So it yeah, it's true both ways. But I think when the second once Holt pulled out the second set, you know, and then the next thing you know, he's won the third, he's up two breaks in the fourth, and he managed to fend him off from there. I think there was maybe a little too much buzz around Taylor Fritz. He's a level-headed guy and a really good guy. But there, a lot of, there, were, there were some prognosticators saying he could win the tournament. He was hearing those voices, I believe. Yeah. I don't think he got totally carried away, but I think he definitely uh, was starting to think himself that he had a shot. And, and obviously, you can't even begin when you're in his shoes, even if you were so close to a Wimbledon semi this year. When you're in his shoes, don't even begin to think that way until you're in the second week. Mm. So maybe a lesson learned. I, I have great faith in him, by the way, though. I think that he yeah. won't be... I don't think that this is going to haunt him much at all, but I think it was a nice step for for Holt, who won all of his matches, went the distance in the qualifying. I saw I saw them all, and he is. He's a terrific competitor. There's no one obvious strength in his game, but there are no weaknesses either. And he and he's and he's just solid as a rock, and and solid disposition reminds you of his mother in that respect. Great disposition and and temperament. So. Yeah, then he lost a match after that where he won the first two sets, one and two, and it got away from him. But that's good. That's a good lesson as well. For him to qualify, beat Taylor Fritz, he takes so much away from this tournament. We'll be watching him over the next bunch of months, but it, but it was exciting to see it. And I don't worry about Taylor Fritz one bit. Yeah, I share your sentiment on Fritz. Um, another upset that happened was in the second round with Jack Draper beating Felix. Obviously, Jack Jack Draper, I also think, is a first-rate player, but Felix, to lose in the manner that he did um, in straight sets and get broken once every surface game and not really have a look or any chances on uh, Draper's surf. Uh, and, you know, he had a really bad backhand day and just uh, didn't really have the solutions. And he when he starts, when sometimes he can get into that mode where he is play starts looking a lot more mechanical and sort of he can't really get his way out of it. And, um, yeah, so I'm, uh, you know, I expected a little more of him, especially last year he had made the semis and yeah. I did too. We all, I, I definitely did. And he, he's such a commendable guy and he, the way he carries himself and he had the great open last year getting to the semis. And I, I think he's, the great players know how to win on their worst days. He hasn't, he doesn't seem to have learned that yet. When things are flowing, I'm not saying it all comes easily to him, but when things are flowing and he's winning, and he can be terrific. But And we've seen it at a bunch of majors now, not just the U.S. Open last year, match point against Medvedev in Australia this year. He's, he's shown us what he can do, but that was a, I, I didn't see him losing to Draper. I think he should have been able to find a way out of it. Uh, and, mm. and hopefully that, that that's going to start to change. With him. I, I'm hoping that these losses will start to sting a little bit more. I get the impression he's almost too level-headed right now. He's a good guy, and he's got he competes with an equanimity that's admirable. But you you have to at that level, you've got to have the feeling that a loss is 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 like a death in the family. You you mm. you, you just can't take it. And I haven't seen that in him yet. But I hope in, over the next year we will, because I, I I do see Felix as as a player who has the capacity to win win a few majors in the, in the future who should yeah. uh, but this was this was a setback to be sure 
Yeah, for sure. And I know he's such a composed guy, but sometimes I feel like on the court he is so composed to the yeah. point where he doesn't express himself. Like he yeah. doesn't let anything out. And I feel like maybe he can fight a balance. Maybe he can emote a little bit more. I don't know if that'll help. But maybe he's no, just I bottling too much inside. I know. I think he needs some of that. You, you, you want to vent some. You can't carry that too far because then you become almost listless. Then you're too placid. It can get in your way. Then you don't respond to the biggest points. And you need a certain amount of emotional energy out there, which right now he seems to be lacking at times. And, and I, I hope he'll grow out of this because I think he's a, I think he's a great player who hasn't has not begun to show us his very best yet. Mm. Yeah, of course. And of course, Draper was also up a. Uh a break in the third set against Hachinov and then he got injured. So it would have been interesting to see how that tournament would have would have played out. But I guess um on uh, on Nick Kyrgios. So of course Nick Kyrgios was was, you know, coming in with a little bit more form, you know, coming in having won Washington and, you know, there was a lot of talk about whether or not he can win the whole thing. And his performance against Medvedev definitely impressed me. Um and then I thought Hachinov played a really good match in the quarters, so he didn't didn't get to go all the way and he got frustrated at the end of that match, but um, even though he played and competed all the way through, but it's just I think he knew that he he had given his absolute hundred percent, but it just you know he fell short. Yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, maybe he had a little bit of letdown. The Medvedev match is one of the best matches he's played in his career, probably. It was yeah. a nice follow-up on the win he had over Daniel over the summer. He, uh, yeah, I I was I was astounded by how Hachinov sustained his level from beginning to end. He, you know, he really played well all the way through and he, his emotions were under control and he, he could sort of sense the crowd wanted Nick. But he just he just kept plugging away. And I thought there was a consistency that was terrific from him. And he served and he really kind of kept Nick at bay with his serve. And and especially impressive was when Nick played such a good tiebreak in the fourth set. And then Hatchinoff breaks him at the start of the fifth and carries on from there. I thought that was a really good effort. So yeah. I would say that, yeah, Nick had his had some tumultuous moments. Uh, you know, he has he's going to have his temper tantrums and his smash racket. But Nick was in there fighting all the way himself. Yeah, and he had the injury earlier in the match, but he seemed to overcome that. And I just think he got beaten fair and square that night. And that you know these matches are not a given. And as well as Nick has played since the grass court season. No, they're going to be certain types of opponents, certain guys. I mean, he, he struggles against Herkosh. Yeah. Uh, you know, there there's certain players and Hatchinoff really that certainly that night matched up really well against him and just did his job exceedingly well. So I, I really thought and, and I would have to say he won it more than Nick lost that match. It was a fine performance. Yeah, absolutely. He served amazingly, you know, like thirty aces and didn't Nick didn't yeah. have many looks on return and it was he stayed with him all the way through and I and, I thought Nick's variety would, would kind of trouble Hatchinov, like, you know, with yeah, his... Yeah, it did. No, it, it Nick didn't, tried but... to mix things up. Very, tried very hard to mix it up. That there was no breaking uh, Hatchinov's, Hatchinov's rhythm that night. It didn't matter what Nick tried. Some ways, yeah. I think he would have been better off to maybe slug a little more, but I understood what he was trying to do because you could see that uh, Hatchinov was, was feeling the ball well, controlling it well, and you had to do something to kind of get in his way, but Nick never was able... In the end, he lost the battle even more from the backcourt than he did on serve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, Nick played superbly uh, against Medvedev, one of the best performances of his career. But did you feel like Medvedev could have done something differently, particularly in the last two sets? Did you think he was a little too predictable with his serving, um, you know, his yeah, second serve he, he, to the curious backhand? Yeah, he gets he gets way too predictable with his serve. And I, I get worried on certain nights about his forehand. It's mm -hmm. such a kind of a funky stroke. The backswing and the, it, 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 things have got it. There, there are times when that forehand can go off. I have much more belief in his backhand, but yeah, he was way too predictable the last two sets serving, and then Nick Nick really picked up his own serving, and uh, the combination of the two was deadly for Daniel. And, and it was interesting. You wouldn't have thought it would play out that way after that incredibly close first set that went down to the wire in the tiebreak. So, I mean, and it was a good thing for Nick that he won it because obviously Daniel comes back to win the second when Nick kind of got a bit, that was the only kind of sloppy patch in the match was, was Nick in the earlier stages of the second set putting himself down two breaks. But I thought those last two sets were gems. And, and you're right, Daniel contributed with, with his predict, predictability, particularly on serve. He just gets too robotic. It's a great serve, yeah. but 
I, I feel like it could be better and it could be more deceptive. And after a while, he wasn't he wasn't fooling Nick at all that night over the last two sets. Yeah, absolutely. And he did make some adjustments, right? He stood up closer on the baseline on the return. Yeah. I think we were talking about I that. I like that a lot. I love that. I thought that was true. I was noticing it in the first set. I thought, this is good because he didn't want to do that. He wasn't even inclined to do it when he played him over the summer. But here he was adjusting and actually returning well from closer in. But then... Later on, he wasn't able to, he wasn't returning nearly as well the last two sets. And maybe Nick, Nick also served a bit more accurately. There were some other factors that weren't Daniel's fault. But I thought he did some very, very impressive returning in that first set from much, much closer in. Yeah, I think as we go to the indoors, you know, maybe with the pressure off, maybe he'll start feeling a little more, you know, back like his old self, like he was in Australia. Because he did kind of have this period where in 2019, he was really hot. For the end of the end of the season, and then sort of 2020, you couldn't you know maybe really see it fully with the pandemic. But he just it took him a while, and then he kind of went on his hot streak. But it'll be interesting to see with him and Djokovic back playing, and how much Nadal plays, and then Alcaraz in there, and the other contenders. I, I'm curious to see how it plays yeah. out in the fall. Yeah, I agree on all that. I think just a quick final word on Medvedev. I, I worry about the moodiness. You're right because there have, you're, you're alluding to those periods like in 19 when he gets on the hot streak, and then he's feeling good about himself. Everything is working. He doesn't seem to want to miss a ball. But then when things start going off a bit, yeah. and this has been a tough, long season for him, and I still don't think he's fully recovered from the Nadal loss in Australia. I think his year yeah. might have been very different if he closed out Rafa in the Australian Open final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, now uh, we should switch over to the women and talk about um, Sviantec because Sviantec, you know, similar to Carlos in the, in the, at, at the end of the clay season, you know, was 4-4 four and four after the French Obviously, she was on right. a 37-match winning streak. She had won six titles. There was all of that. Right. And she'd shown her paralysis on hard courts before, right, in Indian Wells, Doha, Miami. But now to see her win when she's not at her best on hard courts in each of those last four or five, even the Pagula match, all those matches that she was able to win, um, it was just so impressive to me, like, so seeing her win this what particular title. was it? And precisely for what the reasons you just described, I thought the, the series of long, hard struggles leading up to the final that, and, and Anz Jabor playing some first-rate tennis herself, I thought, you know, Anz, I thought Anz might be able to win that match in three sets in the final. Yeah. Maybe if she'd gotten to a third, she would have won. But it was a very disciplined performance from Sviantek, who still gets tight at times. She was in position to win really comfortably at a set four two, but then did a really nice job of of pulling it out in the tiebreak from four or five down. So the end of the tiebreak was when she really showed what a champion she is. Because if, if it goes three and the crowd gets excited and she starts fretting about her missed opportunities in the second, it could have gotten away. But that was a really important win for her because she's twice won Roland Garros this year and in 2020 and been very convincing on the clay. And you alluded to the fact that she showed how great she can be out hard earlier this season during the 37-match winning streak. And uh, so for her to come back after a really lackluster series of tournaments following Roland Garros this year and win her second major of the year and get her first on hard courts, very significant step for Sriantec and impressive. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, you and I, we talk a lot about continuity in these in these majors. I thought that was a good yeah. step forward in this because um, Jabor obviously is the clear number two this year. And for her yeah. to back up her Wimbledon final and get here, um, right. you know, yeah, that was that was impressive for me because she's always been better on the natural surfaces. But so to see her put it together on hard court and really challenge Fiontech in that second set because obviously we know Fiontech's record in finals is like impeccable. She's won; she barely loses yeah. more than four games, and she's won ten in her own now. So yeah. thought that no, was good. It's, it's remarkable, and uh, yeah, I, 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 getting back to quickly to the continuity, I, I think it is important. I felt like. The, key thing was that Sviantec had to make a decent showing here, minimum semifinal, hopefully a final, and then then it didn't matter as much, but in the end, I think it's a good thing for the women's game to have somebody winning two majors this year that you know could win a lot more, many more in the future, and that hopefully has now established herself at the top and can be the one everybody's shooting for, and uh, I, I think it's going to change her outlook, and, it, and I, yeah, I think it was definitely healthy for women's tennis, not to mention Ans. Being in a second straight major final, as you say, has kind of established herself as the second best and has nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, in this case, she's playing the best player in the world. So it would have been a great win if she can pull it off. But I still think she'll get there. She's so versatile. She's so complete. 
and such a joy to watch and all the touch, all that finesse and enough power and a very good serve that she'll, she'll get there in one of the majors soon, soon enough. But these two finals are, are not going to discourage her. I mean, that those, she needed to make her mark in the majors and now she's done it. Yeah. What did you think of her performance against Garcia? Of course, was another um, up and, you know, informed player, you know, having won titles on all three surfaces and won Cincinnati, but like, uh, and was on a tear here, but, uh, you know, obviously Garcia overwhelmed by the occasion, but I thought Jabor played exceptionally well with her spot serving and, you know, never I let think, Garcia back into the match. So that was, that was I amazing. totally agree. She never faced a break point and Garcia didn't want to adjust her return position. She, she'd been so inside that baseline against everybody the whole tournament, didn't want to change it. Garcia had, had been terrific. I had watched her beating Risk and, and also Coco Golf and she was she was looking terrific. I thought she was capable of winning the tournament, and Ans just shut her down. And the serve was really the key. And yeah, I thought that was a really good performance. That's one of the reasons why I thought it could could possibly carry her through the final. But mm. she did a nice job. And Garcia had a great tournament. And I, I think we're going to see more more uh, more good runs from her as well. She's very emotional, but I, I just think she's 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 a great player to watch. Uh, you know, with the aggression and the, and the forehand. And her serve is underrated, very underrated, although uh, uh, against Ons put her under a little too much pressure. So it didn't hold up as well as it had in the previous couple of matches. But uh, I, I, I was very impressed with Garcia overall and, and uh, thought she had a good tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, you know, Sabalenka backing up her semifinal, you know, when, you know, making another, another semifinal, struggled a lot on serve this year, so many double faults, but it looks like she's... You know, she had that a lot more under control. And actually, last year, I remember we were talking when she played Fernandez, um, and she lost 6-4 in the third. And you yeah. and I both said that, uh, you know, it was 60-40 that Sabalenka lost that match. However, this time against Fiontek, when Fiontek won 16 of the last 20 points from 2-4 down, yeah. uh, I felt like, uh, and, you know, of course, Sabalenka was devastated afterwards. But, uh, you know, I really felt like Fiontek uh, definitely earned that a lot more than Oh, totally, totally. No, there, it, this was no giveaway. So. Sabalenka, if she can keep those double faults under control as well as she did here, it's going to make a big difference. And she, no, she didn't lose it. Smontek won that match. Yeah. yeah, a lead. It's frustrating. You come away thinking, God, I just needed, I needed to exploit that lead. But I think Smontek raised her game down the stretch, and that was the difference. And Sabalenka is very emotional. But as you say, she validated what she'd done here last year. And, you know, we've seen it at Wimbledon as well. She gets to the latter stages of these majors. She could do that. And, and But the serve is going to be the key. And th- thankfully, it was under control at, at this tournament. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, I mean, Svantec, when she goes into this, this sort of lockdown mode, where she's super offensive with her forehand and also just defends extremely well, it is very Djokovic-esque what she can do, um, you know, to, converting defense from offense and those that sliding backhand, open stance. She... She has yeah. some of those qualities, I think. Yeah, she still sometimes fights herself with the nerves. Sometimes I don't think the nerves that the, that the errors are mechanical. I think they're 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 a result of what's going on inside her head. Yeah. I think her technique is excellent, and uh, there were some moments like that in the final. But then she she gets right back on the beam again, and she she's a very authentic number one in the world. And I I, I would I I'd be I would expect her to win at least. One more next year, possibly two. Uh, I, I, I think she's got a good chance to stay at the top. She'll have plenty of competition, but she should have a sense of security now after winning the Open that she's never had before. Yeah, absolutely. She has to be a favorite for Australia. Um, yeah. So, do we think uh, Coco Golf is ready, like to win a major? You know, think next year maybe she can get on the board. Kind of. You know, I think that we, we saw her get to the finals of Roland Garros with a good draw. That was an important step. I expect to see her in the latter stages next year. Whether she wins one, I don't know. It's it's not catastrophic if she keeps playing at a high level and keeps rising in the rankings because it, it'll come sooner or later. If it's not next year, I happen to think it maybe is more likely the year after. But mm-hmm. I do expect her to make some strong showings next year and to see a you know, maybe of the four majors to see her in at least two semifinals, perhaps another final, doing well, advancing far in all of them because she can play on any surface. And if it, if she can't pull it off next year, you know, there, there's still 
she's so young. There's no reason that, that it, it wouldn't happen the following year. She's got a great attitude, a very positive outlook. I don't think it'll discourage her if she doesn't win one next year, but she's just, the key is going to be playing consistently well in all those majors. And I suspect she will. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I, one more name and then I want, and then I'll finish it up with Serena, but um, Naomi, Naomi Osaka drew Danielle Collins in the first round here. Um, and of course she was a champion here two years ago and she's won four majors and it's been a long, you know, long road since uh, for, for her, a lot of struggles, uh, a lot of mental health issues, but you know, also just uh, some tough draws. And that's what happens when you're, you know, ranked in that spot where she is. Do you think we'll see a comeback from her and, and you think she can make a push for more majors? I sure hope so, Vance. It's an open question. I never would have thought we would have reached this point, but she never played enough tennis this year. She never got on a roll. We saw in the spring on the hard courts there when she lost that final to Suyantek. I thought maybe she would get going there. I thought uh, this is going this is the start of a revival. It just didn't happen. I don't know. I think next year is going to be pretty critical, and I just hope she makes a full commitment next year because otherwise things could kind of spin out of control for her. I just mean in terms of having enough belief in herself to, and to get her, and again, to get her ranking back where it belongs and get better draws again. That was a tough draw for her. It worries me. It worries me that somehow uh, all the struggles, the, the struggles that she is, that you just alluded to and that have been so well documented that, that it's really preventing her from, from, following the same course that we thought she was on. And, you know, we saw a couple of Australian Open wins, a couple of U.S. Opens, and I would have thought that, were, were, that she was... I, I thought at that time, when she won her fourth, she was heading for double digits. Now, she's going to be hard-pressed, perhaps, hard-pressed to ever win another. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know how to answer your question. I, I think it's maybe a 50-50 answer for me. Yeah. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't put great stock in it. I'm hoping she can do it. I think there's a chance she can do it, but I think there's an equally good chance that it might never happen for her again. Yeah, remains to be seen. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's tough to answer for me. I think she definitely needs like a full committed uh, stretch of tennis. Like I just don't think she played enough at all. Just didn't didn't get the matches in, didn't get the reps. And she's one of those players that when she gets on a roll, she's hard to stop. And she never really found that. Um, and of course, her clay and grass season again were sort of cut short. She had some, she had an injury, and then, you know, didn't play Wimbledon, and uh, you know, got a lot of things going on off, off court as well. And I just, I, it depends on whether she's fully motivated, and it's tough for me to answer. Um, so that's why I thought I'd, I'd bring it up. It's really a fifty-fifty thing. But I guess um, to finish this that's off, sad for the game. It would be great to have her in yeah. the mix. She's so much fun to watch when she's playing well, and between the serve and the forehand, and. The great timing off the ground. I mean, she, she's 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 very enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And yet, not fun to watch her now struggling. I think her attitude wasn't bad here in the loss. I, yeah. I, I, she's trying. She's trying, and she's not mentally breaking down on the court. That's all good. Yeah. But she's not playing the kind of tennis we know she's capable of. And, and I, I hope we'll, maybe Australia can be the start of a turnaround. If she could just make a decent run there. And then start making bids to win some tournaments, and then maybe by Wimbledon in the Open next year, we could see her uh, giving herself some chances. But that's going to still be very, a very tough road ahead for her. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as we uh, wrap this episode up, uh, one more one more topic, which is Serena Serena's uh, farewell or evolution from tennis. I guess you could say. Um, I thought it was perfect. I thought. Everything yeah. played out as perfectly as it possibly could have, just because, I mean, she got all the, she she played four out of the five days on Ash, including her doubles match, and she got three matches in. She um, had that great win over Contivate. It, it reminded me a lot of 2006, you know, Agassi when he beat Baghdadis and then, you know, lost a close next next round. And I thought I learned so much about Tomljanovic and I learned so much about, uh, I, I thought it was just perfect how, how the match ended because we saw Vintage Serena in the last game and we saw, uh, you know, we saw the longest ever match she'd played and she kind of left the door open at the end. Just, you know, what, what were your thoughts on the whole thing? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was never realistic that she was going to win the tournament. There was a lot of sentiment on her side. I think, I, I think some of the sentimental fans hoped it could be a, 
a, a startling run to the title. But uh, the fact that she didn't lose in the first round, the fact that she and didn't play great in the first round, good performance against Kanave, who looked very apprehensive to me and didn't look like the second best player in the world, but takes nothing away from what Serena did, who played quite an impressive third set. Yeah. And then, obviously, Tomjanovic really returned well. She broke her I, I, eight times and, and three sets and, it, and wore her down because she made a big comeback in the second set before Serena was able to salvage that. And finally, you know, it was 6-1 in the third, but a hard-fought 6-1, and you're right. In the last game, Serena saving all those match points with winners, that was sort of symbolic of her entire career, the, the kind of defiance and the competitiveness and the, this uh, woman who never stops believing in herself. So she went down fighting and, and competed with, with great, uh, great strength, strength of character, I thought. It, it did show her at her best to go down in that fashion, and she got outplayed in the end, and that was realistic. Because as we know, she, she'd been gone for a year. She plays Wimbledon. Then she plays three more matches over the summer. How do you do it on four matches? It's just not going to work out. But she at least was able to show flashes of her former self and, and not be humiliated. And I think, I think it worked out very well. I agree with you. It was a good ending. And she gets to the third round. And there are some parallels to Agassi in 06, to be sure. And uh, she can go out with her head held high. And I, I'm hoping that... Any thoughts of a comeback? I, I, I think it's, it, it, it would be a mistake. Mm. I think at her age, it would be a mistake. She should stick with motherhood and what other, whatever business ventures she likes or other things she might want to do in tennis. But she's had a sterling career, and she should leave it at that. And I, I think she will. Yeah, I get the feeling that uh, we, won't, we won't see her back on, on court again because this was just uh, such a perfect send-off and... I yeah, just don't she think wanted, she's ready for the commitment that it would take to come back in yeah, Australia. I mean, she wanted to leave that door open on the court and in the interview room, and that's fair enough. But I hope when she's back in the sort of the, the solitude of her home and reflecting and just thinking it through on her own that she'll realize, you know what, that was the way to do it. And I, I won my first major in 99 there, and here I am back there 23 years later. And what could be better than to end it there, even if I didn't win the tournament? So... I, I, I think it was it, it, uh, the fans were fortunate they got to she filled up the first week for the reasons you stated the three s singles matches on the stadium a, a doubles match with Venus there was a great focus on her but then the tournament was able to sort of take off from there too and yeah. the focus became more on Sriantec and the other players and uh, I think it worked out very well yeah absolutely and uh, yeah it, it, I think it couldn't be couldn't be better the way this uh, this tournament ended. One of the best uh, last ways to to end the season, just with two really promising players winning the title, and just kind of it gives us a nice, uh, uh, really good stories for the rest of the year, and also continuing into the into the next season. So it was really fun watching these last two weeks and seeing how it all unfolded. And it was really fun having you on here again, Steve. I enjoyed it, Bunch. I think we, we had a lot a lot of topics to chew on, and obviously it was a particularly good event for the men, but quite a good one for the women between Serena's departure and Sriantec reaffirming her status as the best woman player in the world and Anshapur reaching her second straight major final. So there were great storylines across the board in both the men's and women's divisions. I, I enjoyed it immensely. I was out there every day, a lot of nights, had a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't have been better. And yeah, thank you so much again uh, for your time. This is always a pleasure. Thank you, Vaj. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.